Hi, this is Kevin Smith, Silent Bob from all those terrible Jane Silent Bob type pictures from back in the day. And you're listening to PF's Tape Recorder, man. Hello there, I'm PF, this is my tape recorder. Coming up, comedian Pete Corrielli busts my chops. Boy, is it me or do you have the interviewing charm of uh, AM radio? What's going on? I'm getting gold here and I'm getting nothing in return. We'll hear more from Pete in just a few minutes. We also have a non-political dumb bit concerning the return of the X Factor. We also have some listener mail, which is very exciting. First one ever. But first, as always, fake news. And now, fake news with me. A pharmacist in New Jersey pulled out a handgun and fired several shots at a would-be robber as he chased him from his store, authorities said. It was not known whether any of the shots hit the hold of man who had demanded narcotic painkillers and is thought to have made it safely back to the EIB studios in Manhattan. Pennsylvania State Supreme Court justices on Thursday aggressively questioned whether a politically charged law requiring photo identification from each voter should take effect for the November 6th presidential election and whether it guarantees the right to vote. The High Court appeal follows a lower court's refusal last month to halt the law from taking effect. The law is now part of the heated election year political rhetoric in the presidential swing state and has inspired protests, warnings of election day chaos, voter education drives, and loads of GOP victory party plans. With nearly 1 million users, Facebook has clearly become a feature of many people's lives worldwide. A new study suggests that the social network has the potential to get hundreds of thousands of people to engage in a single behavior, namely voting. Researchers report in the journal Nature that one Facebook message may have gotten 340,000 additional people to the polls for the 2010 United States congressional elections. Who are Facebook users most likely to vote for this November? Sleeping Kitty. Texas counties are cleaning up their voter rolls by sending letters to tens of thousands of residents asking them to verify whether or not they are dead. Some voters who have received the letters complain the process is confusing. It's not surprising Texas voters don't know if they're dead, as more than half of them think President Obama is a Muslim. I'm pretty sure that's an urban legend, too. I think that was reported, and then it's, it's actually bogus. It's not true. Russian Prime Minister Dmitry Medved says prison sentences should be suspended for three members of the rock band Pussy Riot, who were convicted last month for singing a profane punk rock prayer against President Vladimir Putin in Moscow's main Orthodox cathedral. A slightly confused Larry Flint has offered to pay for their defense. And that's been Fake News with me. give you a little break from the political stuff this week uh, with the dumb bit and of course uh what do we like besides politics well we like uh tv shows and in particular reality tv shows and of course we had a lot of fun with american idol a couple months back uh more at my expense than anyone else's uh you know we played uh, music from when uh, well the bumper music you hear in the show is my old band and it's good in every way except when I sing, is what we concluded. So we had some fun with that. And, of course, Simon Cowell now has a, uh, a new TV program. I guess it's in the second season now, The X Factor. And, of course, same formula, uh, pretty much as American Idol. Uh, you got people, you know, they discover people who can sing. And I'm not putting the knock on that. I honestly think that, um, well, even though Kelly Clarkson, I don't think, really came out of nowhere. She was actually singing demos for Carole King. 
uh, when she was entered the contest. So she was working in the business, sort of. But, you know, she might have ended up a session player for life had it not been for American Idol. And, of course, Carrie Underwood, I think they really did pluck out of nowhere, you know? So even though I don't like their music, I do agree that they're talented singers, and I think, you know, the show did find them. I don't think that's... Uh, you know, a setup or, or a bunch of jive. But the one thing, of course, that we discussed uh, in the previous episodes, the American Idol, and I guess now with X Factor and a lot of these shows, is of course yeah, they want to mix it up, so they have to bring in people that are terrible. And they know perfectly well these people can't sing. At the American Idol auditions, that big stadium full of people, they just go through the crowd, and I'm, I'm not even sure they get to everybody, but they just give them a little 30 second audition, and I guess they know if they can sing or not. And then from there, I guess they probably would let down. But I, they must know the people that can't sing really can't sing. And so I, they feign this, oh, my goodness, I can't believe someone thinks they can sing and can't. So anyway, uh, watching football on Sunday, big promo for the X Factor. Uh, here it is, and we'll, we'll break this down. Okay, so dude rolls out. He's dressed all silly, and uh, they're all looking wide-eyed like, oh, what's this dude all about? Candy girl, my sweet cotton candy girl, cotton, cotton candy girl, my candy girl. Yeah, they're all looking at each You're other like... like a mouse trying to be an elephant. <laughs> it's just wrong. I mean, uh, you know, I, I worked too hard. I worked way too hard for a, this. A lot of people work really, really hard. That's Demi Lovato. Games, but it's not meant for everybody. That's why you use auto tune, and I don't. Oh, Simon looks shocked. And LA Reed's like, whoa, settle down, dude. You went too I far. I will let you on stage. That's Britney. Zing. Uncomfortable with you even staring at me. You know, I don't need this either. I don't need amateur hours. Yeah, see you later. Yeah, you see, you like a better writer than me. Oh. This has to be my favorite part, though. Let me play it for you again. I want to know who let you on stage. Uh, Brittany, turn to your left and meet Simon Cowell. Simon, Brittany, you hired her for the show. He let him on the stage. Who do you think let him on the stage? Goodness gracious. Who let you on this day? Uh, how did this guy get past the stringent audition process? It's just crazy. And, uh, well, let me play Demi Lovato again, too, because that's pretty funny. A lot of people work really, really hard for their dreams, but it's not meant for everybody. And then he hits her with the, uh... That's why you use auto-tune, and I don't. Oh, no, you didn't! Anyway, in fairness to Demi Lovato, uh, if she has used auto-tune in the past, I think it's more for flavor in her recordings than that for actual need, because uh, she does have a pretty decent voice uh, when you judge it objectively. And uh, she's worked hard. She worked her way through the whole Barney and Friends situation, and we actually saw her play live. Um, she toured with Jonas Brothers. It was on their final tour, and uh, don't worry, we didn't pay for tickets. They papered the house. But um, anyway, uh, you know, and she sounded just, just fine live, and then, you know, she went a little nuts, and uh, well, there you have it. But, um, yeah, again, this whole thing, they're still selling after. How long has Idol been on? It's, it's been a good 10 years now, and it's still like, oh, people think they can sing it, and they can't. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Pete Corrielli is a very funny stand-up comedian who you've probably seen on all the late-night talk shows, including The Late Show with David Letterman. His new DVD came out back last spring. It is called The Things We Do for Love. And here now is our interview with Pete Corrielli. Okay, joining us on PS Tape Recorder, it's comedian Pete Corrielli. Pete, how you doing? I'm good, P.S. How are you? Good, good. I know we've had a lot of trouble getting this thing put together. Um, I was going to explain, I, I foolishly am doing two podcasts now, 
which at the beginning sounded like a good idea. I do a football one and I do this one, but now, of course, that really limits my time now that we have Thursday games every week in the NFL, so I'm, uh, it's completely screwed me up, but I'm glad we got a hold of you. Yeah. No, thing here, dude, yeah, those Thursday games, I mean, it's just a matter of time until they say, fuck it, why don't we just do Tuesday and Wednesday and make it official? No, you make every day, then you could see all the games, though, they wouldn't want that, unless they could find a way yeah. to charge you for them, yeah, so. Um, exactly, exactly. So for the benefit of the podcast listeners, I know I know some of, of the of the background, but um, uh, well, first of all, I guess what's what's new with you? Last time I talked to you, you were uh, you and the wife were trying to have a kid. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God, that's so funny. That's right. I remember that. Yeah. No, we bailed on that. We tried for like ten months, and uh, no kid came out of it. Huh. Although some really good bits came out of it. There you go. So. Yeah, no, it got a little crazy. I mean, like I talk about it on stage, but it got a little crazy where, uh, you know, her insurance, uh, medical insurance, like it was covered if we wanted to try going to fertility clinic. Oh. So we just checked it out. We didn't even do it. It was just all too intense. And, and it was, you know, as I like to say on stage now, I, I, we didn't want kids for the longest time. And all of a sudden, my wife woke up and wanted them one day. And I kind of was sounded like a good idea, but it's lucky for us that it didn't happen because in retrospect, really what we were doing was like food shopping when we were hungry, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. Because we just went through a little bit of a boring spell yeah. where we didn't know, didn't know what we could do to make things fun. We traveled all over, did this, do that. My wife's like, let's have a kid. But uh, yeah, I'm, I, it didn't happen in a good way. Huh, that's cool. Think maybe down yeah. the road? No, I look at my, I look at my brother-in-law and the guy, he just had a boy. He's not even a year old yet, the boy. And my brother was aging like the president ages when he gets in the White House. I mean, yeah, yeah. <laughs> when he first got into office, he, he looked like he could have played for the Bulls. <laughs> you know, now he looks like if he came back for a Bulls, you know, old-timers game, they wouldn't even put him out there because the late might have a heart attack with all that gray. I've got that yeah, look, actually. If you could fake laugh at my shit, it would really be helpful no, with the podcast, all right? Well, <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Well, this, I have a phone ringing now in the background, so I'm sure I'm going to have to take care of that now. So let, let, walk me back through this thing. I remember um, you had gotten a stand-up. Was it a, a case of your your friends found you funny and you, they insisted you go on stage, or was it uh, uh, something you'd always wanted to do? Oh, stand-up was something that I kind of, well, it's, I can't say I always wanted to do it. I always loved it growing up. Whenever there was a Comic-Con, I'd always watch, and me and my brother loved it. But, you know, my dad was an architect and my mother was a teacher, and the idea of being in show business was like, no one in my, my neck of the woods on Long Island, no one I knew did show business. There was a dude on my age who lived a town away from us, and every time we'd drive by his house, house we'd all go, the kid who lives there was in a Yoo commercial once. Uh, <laughs> and that was like the closest to show business anyone in my neck of the woods ever got. So I didn't even consider it. And then when I graduated from college, uh, you know, I, I just went to see him. It's a long story, but I went to a, um, a comedy called Lunch at around 5, 6 o'clock to watch a little improv from a friend. And then I stuck around and watched the stand-up, and I was like, holy sh**, man, that's what I want to do. And then it was, as my dad always says, I never saw anybody grab something and just delve themselves into it as full force as uh, my son did with comedy. I mean, it was just like, for the next 15 years and going, Every night, every night, you know. So, did you were going up every night then, or were you just observing at first, or what was the, what was the trajectory? Well, the first, well, I mean, you try to at first, and obviously you can't get on every night because you suck. 
But uh, I would do like open mics, obviously, here and there, whenever I could get on. And when, when I couldn't get on an open mic, uh, the basement of the building I lived in in Manhattan, uh, I was able to hang a big blanket uh, to separate part of the basement. And then the blanket served as my wall. And I bought a mic and a mic stand and a little stupid boom uh, amplifier. And I would just come out and I would do stand up all night long for myself out in the, in the basement just to get a feel of being in front of a mic and talking oh, on it. That's a good you idea. Know? And then maybe like six months into all this nonsense, uh, I got a job, quote unquote, mopping and sweeping the floors at New York Comedy Club, which is a real dumpy club. Um, the, every day after I got out of, I worked at a hotel, the front desk. I'd come home, take a nap. And then I go to this club and I mop the floors and set it up for the show. And then he'd put me on last every night. And then I'd help clean up and I'd go home. And I didn't get free any money for that. But I got to go on every night, which was just so valuable because there's no other way to get on when you suck. <laughs> well, how long was you it know, before? And yeah. Well, how long was it before you didn't suck? Uh, well, if you ask the crowd from last Sunday night in Louisville, they'd say 15 <laughs> years ago. No, no, I'm kidding. I, it's really, that's funny, man. It's been a long time, long time since I bombed. I just had that conversation with my in-laws. They're like, what are you doing? You bomb. I was like, geez, I haven't bombed in a hundred years, it seems. But, uh, it's funny, man, because I thought I was good when about four or five years in. I'm like, I'm getting pretty good at this. And then by the time I'm six years in, you realize, oh my God, you were terrible at four years <laughs> in. And then by the time I'm eight years in, I'm like, how dare you think you were good at six? So, you know, I really do think I'm better, at least in my head. I feel like I'm better every year than I was the year before. And Like, I just performed uh, two nights ago in Pennsylvania. My brother-in-law was there, and I've been married for years, and he hadn't seen me in a few years. And he's like, oh, my God, you were great last time I saw you, but you're at a whole other level now. So, you know, it's weird. I don't want to keep rambling on you, but oh, no, that's sometimes fine. I see comics. When some comics come, like, to the comedy cell in New York City, where I play every night, well, I just moved to L.A., but where I used to play every single night, I don't want to name names, but some of the older guys would come in that I liked when I was younger and see them on TV, and, and their stuff would just be so outdated, and I, I couldn't believe that they couldn't see that what they're doing was so stale and, like, I mean, one guy came in and he was like, just flew in from West Palm, talk about small airplane, uh, airports, like, you know, and it was just like, I don't want to go any further with the bit. But, um, but then you see guys like Colin Quinn, uh, who's not old, but, you know, he's, he's definitely, he's been around yeah. since the 80s. And you see, uh, you know, obviously, Seinfeld and, and Chris Rock, and these guys, they're just always relevant. They're always good. Like, Jerry Seinfeld and Colin Quinn, they'll be making 18-year-old kids laugh till the day they die. And I could never for the life of me truly put my finger on what makes one guy famous or not. Just one guy will be good. Like, look at Mark Maron, man. You know, he's getting, uh, he's up in his late 40s now, and he's actually probably really would tell you right now he's better than he's ever been. Oh, yeah. And going. Yeah, definitely. And other guys get, get, get to that age, and all of a sudden, they just sound old and outdated, man. So... You know, there's really, you know, there's really no rhyme or reason to, to what goes on, but I, I, I do feel like I'm growing every year. I had this conversation with Jim Norton recently, and Norton was like, we go on every night, Pete, so we'll never have that happen because we're always uh, aware of what's, uh, what's relevant and what's not, where some of these guys I'm talking about, you know, they're just playing on the road in these same little places or wherever they always played, and then they, you know, like they're not trying to stay relevant. 
Yeah, so, they got they got other things going on too, so, probably. Yeah, I'm just so afraid I'm going to be like 60 years old walking into do a guest spot at the comedy cellar one night, and I just go up there going, "So, let me tell you something about my life," and then everybody's looking at me like, "Is this guy kidding me? We don't <laughs> talk about lives anymore." <laughs> or whatever it may be. So. Well, when you were uh, practicing, Sorry, I, I, oh, that's fine. Yeah. When, when you were practicing in your basement, I'm curious. Um, was it? Did you have like a, a, a set? You know, some some goals in mind. Because what I started doing when I was doing uh, started doing open mics was, I think I should probably just do this in in little pieces. Like, first, you know, first goal, remember your whole set. Second goal, do five minutes in five minutes. Don't do five minutes in two minutes, and things like that. And you just get a little progression. Were you doing that as you went along, or was it just kind of like you would just do it repeatedly and just pick up things as you went? Oh, no, I definitely had, like, bits that... It was really no different than the same thing I would do at an open mic, which is go up with some bits and try to get those words out as succinct as I, as I can. You know, it's like every comic's different, you know? Like, some guys are total characters. Some guys are straight-up joke tellers. For me, I've always aspired to... Um, yeah, you know, I, I like to when I come on stage. I want you to feel like you know you're at a party and I'm doing. And I just walk in or something. I'm doing all the talking. You know, I don't like people to feel like I'm performing for them. I like it to be really organic and everything I talk about. You know, I make sure there's really tight, funny jokes within the story, but I still always talk mostly. Ninety percent of my act is about my life, and which. Also, sort of the reason sometimes where I think I, I didn't take off as quick as some other guys who, who just kind of do commentary that everybody everybody else, like, you know, hey, what about so-and-so? Did you hear about this? Whereas mine is, I tell you about my life, and then you can relate to your life through mine. And my goal was always to make it, I'm, I'm, I, I think I'm a pretty funny guy when I hang out with my buddies and have a few beers like growing up, you know? And, yeah. And I was always just trying to get, get to that relaxed place. Uh-huh. And the only way you could is by being on stage over and over. I mean, my hero is David Tell. He's the greatest I've ever seen in my life. And if you add up all the time he's been on stage, I would bet it's like over three years, literally three years of his life oh, yeah. been on a stage. So it's like you just start to become so comfortable. Like as long as you don't physically shoot me or throw a rock at my head, there's hmm. nothing you can do that would make me be uncomfortable on stage that I haven't experienced. And, you know, like I said, early on, you couldn't get on a stage, so you had to make one. And the open mics, I go on an open mics and you look out, and the only one in the crowd are other comics, and they got their faces in their notebook. They're not even looking at you. So then I'd say, well, what's the effing difference if I go home and do this at home on nights I can't go on an open mic? It's the same thing. It's really just about talking into a mic and yeah. trying to get comfortable up there. Yeah. So, and did you feel that yeah. helped uh, when you finally did get on stage in front of uh, people that weren't just comics? Did you feel you kind of had a, just a little bit of a head start that you were a little bit more relaxed than you would have if you'd have gone up cold? I did. I did. I, I mean, I can't, I look, I don't want combo guys trying to be comics listening to this going, I got to work out my business and my own life. I mean, everybody's got their own route will work right. for them. Right, yeah. And that, that, that in and of itself uh, didn't, uh, didn't do it for me. But for me, I was always kind of the guy, like, I didn't, I was... I was anxious and nervous up there like anybody else, but uh, I could pull it off as far as you think, and I belonged up there. It was the, it was the writing that had to catch up to the performing. Uh-huh. It wasn't the other way around. So, um, you know, then there's other guys who, like, you know, have great jokes early on, great jokes, but they're just not good enough to tell them yet. So, 
for me, it always seemed to be my writing had to try and catch up to my performance level. Yeah, so there really wasn't, I mean, I was, you know, not knowing what the hell I was doing up there, but I didn't, you know, I wasn't freaking out by being up there, I guess is what I'm trying to say. So I guess that helped somewhat, yeah. Yeah. Um, so what kind of things are you talking about uh, these days uh, in your life? Well, from your life? Uh, as you said, talking about, I was talking about trying to have a kid uh, for a while and uh, oh man, everything from, uh, you know, this past summer, man, my niece, 10 years old, she got really into that swimming from the Olympics. <laughs> and now I'm talking on stage about how, you know, it's tough. You see some of those female swimmers in the Olympics and they're built. I mean, they have muscular checks. And if you make the Olympics as a swimmer, then that's okay. You know, as I like to joke around, two guys are at a bar and they're, and they're 18 or 19 years old and my niece is standing in the corner, you know, and she's all muscular. And one of them goes, dude, look at that muscular chick over there. And then the other one's like, dude, she's an Olympic swimmer. <laughs> and then the first guy would be like, oh, she had no idea. Let's go talk to her. That's cool. But for everyone that that happens to, there's just a ton of muscular chicks that didn't make the Olympics. <laughs> I'm afraid my, my niece is going to be the one where the guy goes, look at that muscular chick over there. And then the other guy goes, oh, yeah, hey, bro, she's huge. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, you got to make the Olympics. If you're going to let your daughter swim and really go for it, you better make it, baby, or else you're just going to be a big chick with a huge feedback. you got to be anyway, in it. got to be in it to win it. family. <laughs> Always, you know, family, friends, you know, some stuff going on, and uh, a little current events here and there. I don't, I don't sit down really and say hey, this is what I talk about. I just try to find funny in anything I can think of, and nothing's off limits really for me. So, do you go up there with a good idea of what you're going to talk about, and maybe kind of do like Marin does, where you kind of write it on stage, or do you, you know, think about it for a day or so, and then kind of get it formed, and then go up and launch it? Uh, it's, it's a little of both. It's more the latter. I really, I really write stuff. I like, I, I don't, I won't go on stage and say a joke unless there's at least, I mean, a, a premise, unless there's at least one joke in there somewhere. Like, you know, I will, if I go, if I go, Hey man, you know, there's something about how, uh, I don't know. I'm trying to, oh, let's say like right now I had dinner at Manimals two nights ago. And it's just funny to me. It's a big family function. And like some of the men get up and help clear like I do. Uh, my father-in-law has no intention to ever getting up. My brother-in-law doesn't get up, but then my, my wife and my mother-in-law will whisper, why doesn't he ever get up and help clear? So I just think there's something in there with this, what's the obligation for a man to get up and help clear the table? But I don't have any semblance of a joke yet. So I can't just go up there and say, hey, clearing the table, because I just don't have anything. And then I don't want to be going, I hate when I'm up there going, so, um, yeah, that's that. You know, when you don't have a joke and yeah, no one yeah. laughs and you just go. So if I just have a little something, even if they don't laugh at it, at least it was an attempt. But then what Marin is saying and what I've, I've, I've been doing much, much more now is you, you, I will go up with way less than what I used to go up with. Like if I just have a little thing, I'll go up and I'll go for it off of that one little joke because there's just something about the moment and the crowd that just, it, it's weird. You could try and write a joke sometimes all night long and not get it. And then you can go up and just try to say that same joke and it'll click while you're up there. It's almost like your brain is forced into the pressure of coming up with the bit oh, wow. immediately. That sounds cool. Whereas it knows, you know, and then on the flip side, do I have to say, 
every time I sit down and write my computer, like there's, there's times I write my computer where I'm like, you suck. You have nothing funny to say. <laughs> what are you even doing in your life? Oh, <laughs> uh, you know, I'm not even listening to what I'm typing right now. Like, like I'll just type whatever I'm thinking just to yeah. be typing. And then usually, usually you just get one little something, just something, you know, it's usually right at the end after writing for three hours or five pages. And then, you know, other times it's completely nothing, but it's usually a little something. And then here's the thing. But then you could be walking down the street and all of a sudden a joke hits you. And a lot of comic friends go, see, dude, why sit down and write for three hours if a joke's just going to hit you when you walk on the street anyway? And I'm like, because that joke never would have hit you if you weren't writing for three hours because you're not working that muscle. You're not thinking in those terms, man. You're not, yeah. you, you know, you, you, you're working that brain trying to come up with it. So, and, but uh, again, for me, man, I mean, I remember talking to Ben Bailey from Cash Cab. And I go, I got oh, I a love message him. when I write now, bro. I go, I say everything in my cell phone, I record it, if I have a premise. I go, so then when I go to sit down to write, instead of just trying to think of shit, I go to my cell phone and I play all my premises. Uh -huh. so I ran into him recently. He's like, hey, you still do that method? I go, bro, I don't even know what method I told you because I do so many different methods <laughs> that work two weeks and then I'm back in a slump. So I guess my method is just all different All different methods. methods. <laughs> well, it seems to be working yeah. out for you, though, sir. Thank you, P.S. Boy, is it me or do you have the interviewing charm of uh, AM radio? What's going on? I'm giving gold here and I'm getting nothing in return. I, I, it's, it's been, I believe it's a long day. I get up at 5 o'clock in the morning. I try to do two podcasts. I have a day job. It's, I'm a big AM radio guy, though, so maybe it's seeping in somewhere like that. I don't know. I, <laughs> I am, too, actually, to be honest with you. Yeah. You know, they, they have the, you have the presets on the car where you've got the, the two bands of FM and the one band of AM. I need the reverse. I yeah. need two bands of AM. And just one band of FM, but they don't make that for me. So yeah. Oh, and speaking of, we need to uh, of uh, cities and so forth. We need to get you down here to Cincinnati still. Yeah, I want to come down there, man. I, well, I did just play. The closest I got was I just played Louisville. Uh, yeah. And that was a lot of fun. But still, what is it? An hour and forty-five minutes? Uh, it's about an hour and hour and a half. Yeah, tops. Yeah. So. Yeah, I, I yeah I want to get in Cincinnati. I really do, man. Cool. Working on it. Working oh. on it. That's the I want to really. I don't know, man. I want to try and do an hour every year and pour with it, but we don't have grand plans. But yep. we'll see. Well, keep plugging away, man. It's working out, like I said, and, and hopefully we will see you in Cincinnati. I'll uh, I'll mention it to the to the clubs here. I'll to bring Pete Corrielli in, man. Yeah, yeah, do it up, bro. I'd appreciate that. Cool, man. All right. Well, good luck out there in Los Angeles. And um, all right. Anything else you want to plug? Any TV appearances coming up or anything or? No, not right now. Just go to pcorielli.com, and I got a film I'm a star of that comes out this summer. But oh, awesome. We'll see if it's uh, we'll see what happens, man. It's pretty, pretty. Uh, I think it's funny, but it's really over the top. So oh, okay. Well, that's cool. All right, man. It's called Just Laugh. All right, P.S. Thanks right. for talking, bro. Yeah, thanks, Pete. Bye, bye. All right, take care. And thanks once again to Pete Corrielli for being on the podcast. You can find all things Pete Corrielli at PeteCorrielli.com, easy enough. And Corrielli is spelled C-O-R-R-E-A-L-E, -E, pretty much like it sounds. Uh, okay, so we got some fan mail, or uh, uh, listener mail, I suppose is a better way to put it. I wouldn't really say the, 
this lady is a a fan, but very nice of her to uh, write. She actually wrote uh, about a month ago after the episode. I can't remember exactly who was on, but we were talking about uh, things that aren't really things. And one of the things that isn't really a thing that uh, I think is out there right now, you might have seen this meme, is that people on food stamps have eye touches and iPods and iPads and everything like that. And while I'm sure there are people on assistance who have these type of devices, I don't think the majority of them do. And uh, the other thing was uh, this thing that we've heard, heard this a lot, and I've never actually seen this, but uh, people always complaining, oh, kids, they play an organized sport, they get a trophy for just showing up. And well, this lady wrote in, had some kind words about the podcast, and says, I've got a little bit of time here, I will read this to you. She says, hi, PF, I was just listening to your podcast with Kostaki, probably a Kostaki fan we've uh, roped in. Anyway, she says, I really enjoy to keep up the good work. I just wanted to weigh in on the trophy thing. I have three boys and we're not really into sports, but I'd say two-thirds of the time we've gotten a trophy. Soccer was more serious and we didn't get one. We joined a bowling league and did get one, and my son just got a trophy for completing a in a non-competition baseball league. Interestingly enough, when I was in high school in 1986, I got a letter in softball for being softball manager, i.e. not good enough to make the team, but all I did was write down the scores, exclamation point. And she adds, I think it was Jimmy Dore who mentioned that Glenn Beck, who is totally against these free awards, has accepted at least one honorary degree, something he did not earn, but that's okay, as long as his kid doesn't get any added ego boost from a $5 trophy. Anyway, I really enjoy your show. Great guest, and keep it up. Signed, Beth. Okay, so um, some very kind words there, of course, again, and thank you very much for that. But yeah, it seems that maybe baseball... Uh, is the sport where that happens because she mentions that uh, her sons played soccer and didn't get a trophy. Uh, fangirl played soccer for a year, didn't get a trophy. She played basketball for a year, didn't get a trophy or a certificate or anything. But um, I seem to, it's uh, of these urban legends, and I'm going to call them urban legends because I really don't know what else to call them because I, I just don't believe across the board this is as much of a thing as people say it is. But I think the uh, the trophy thing seems like it's more of a baseball thing than anything else, which is really weird. I don't think this happens in football or uh, or soccer or any or any sports like that. So anyway, so that's uh, our our views, our uh, our latest installment and probably last for a long time installment of listener mail. If you do have a, a comment for the show, please feel free to email me pfwilson84 at gmail.com. Oh, and before I forget, I almost forgot when I was doing Pete Corrales dates that I will be at Go Bananas in Cincinnati Wednesday, September 19th, doing the Pro-Am, i.e. the open mic. So come out and see me. And what do I always say it is? It's a great show. Yes, of course, you get about a dozen funny people and me. So uh, all the links will be on pfradio.podbean.com. If you're listening to this any other way than through Podbean, go to uh, the show's website and you'll be able to get all the information you need. Again, like us on Facebook. Follow me on Twitter at pf 66 Music for PST Tape Recorder by John Baropoulos and Doug O'Connor with a little help from me. And well, I think that's just about going to do it here for PFT Tape Recorder episode number 61. Uh, we have some big news to share with you next week, I hope. And uh, I guess until then, so long and thanks for listening. Yeah.